0: recording with miss mitzi purdue on sunday july 2nd 2023 at 3 11 p.m eastern time and for anybody listening um this is the last episode i'm taking a couple of days off for july 4th so if you're wondering i imagine somebody several days in the future is watching this wondering why this is the last ep- uploaded episode uh, i've not been killed not to my knowledge I am uh, just taking a couple days off to go vegetate up at my parents' house and eat more food than I should. And, uh, yeah, so sending sending halfway through the year. Today is the 183rd day of the year, so technically we are now over 50% of the way through the year. And so I guess we're at the halfway point, and I am celebrating the halfway point with Miss Mitzi Purdue. Mitzi, how are you doing?
1: Absolutely never better. Beautiful. And I'm all set to talk about the topic I promised you. Yes, ma'am. Which is the title is an information operation, and the subtitle is to use a Ukrainian expression, putting a porcupine down Putin's trousers. Well, How's take that the title?
0: you take it away, Miss Mitzi Purdue, because this is your <laughs> this is your show, and I will not I will not get in the way of it because I know we have a limited amount of time. But I was thinking of, of, of putting a porcupine down Putin's, you should change trousers to pants to go for the full alliteration.
1: Putin's pants. Got well,
0: you're, getting, you're putting a porcupine down Putin's pants. you got to go for the full alliteration. If you're going to go in, go for all of it, Mitzi.
1: All in. All in. Yeah. All right. well, so enjoy this, Mr. Putin.
0: <laughs> Miss Mitzi, take it away. All
1: right. My information operation. Oh. Uh, In December of last year I sold an important gem. It was an Atocha emerald uh, and newspaper reports of it, not by me, people who have done research, said that it isn't, you don't even find the gem of the quality of the Atocha emerald that I put up for sale once every 20 years. So it was a big deal. It sold and I had promised that every penny would go to Ukraine, to humanitarian help for Ukraine. And for anybody who's interested in what you do with $1.2 million when you get to help a country, uh, you put a porcupine down Putin's pants in the following way. I asked, you know, on the theory that you danced with the guy that rung you, the group that invited me to come to Ukraine a year ago, and I'm about to be on my third trip, was the Kyiv Region Police. And they wanted me to come because they said they'd been unable to interest any other journalists. And uh, when I indicated interest, they said, come be our guests. Uh, so that, that started a relationship with the Kiev region police, and I adore every one of them. Well, when I sold the ring, and I decided to do it because of them, I asked their advice on where it should go. And one of the immediate places it went was to replace 18 police cars that were guarding the you, well, uh, let's see, the Chernobyl reserve area. Hmm. It happens to be terribly important because poachers were taking highly arrayed, deadly um, metal scraps and selling them in the open market uh, globally. Okay, so that's where 18, 18 cars were paid for from that ring, but now the part that interests me and involves porcupines. Oh my gosh, since we're alliterating, porcupines, Putin's pants. I'm trying to think of another word that begins with P, but I shouldn't use it. (laughs) (laughs) But so, uh, an area of Mr. Putin that he would probably not like an angry porcupine in. Uh, the, The police told me that they had five police speedboats that have been confiscated, and you may not have known this or maybe you do, but one of the characteristics of Ukraine is it's a highly rivered country, or put in more plain English, it's got lots of rivers. And on rivers, uh, a lot of crimes can take place like smuggling or human trafficking, and when suddenly they don't have their police boats, there's just a whole area for bad guys whether they're russians or bad ukrainians to to commit crimes so they asked if i would replace the police boats and i said sure and now we're getting to the information operation they told me that i got to name the boats and yeah that's kind of fun to name boats and they said you might like to name it after family members or best friend or something and i said no instead let's name it after five foreign fighters who joined the ukrainian foreign legion and gave their lives for ukraine's freedom well they liked the idea so the boats will be named after a guy from australia Mm. a guy from france netherlands japan and the united states and i interviewed the families of each of them about why they had chosen to give their lives they actually didn't choose to give their lives, why they chose to fight for, for Ukraine. And they have some of the most beautiful stories possible. And I've written them up in booklets and press releases. And a friend of mine who runs one of the most major public relations firms in the world, the Dylan Schneider Group, he is sending it to the press, say of Japan, when uh, Shuto Fukuyama uh, volunteered and gave his life, Oh, the Dylan Schneider group is going to contact the major media outlets of Japan, set, telling just the beautiful story. And it's, it's you know, it's just full of tragedy almost, and then a little bit of humor and then pictures of him as a baby. And I challenge anybody to read the tribute booklet that I wrote and not cry. Mm-hmm. It, it told about how he was a very idealistic young man. Uh, and One of the few things that he did besides uh, studying and working is he really loved to play the drums but to pay his passage his travel expenses to get to ukraine he sold his drums and you know each of the five heroes has a story like that and each of the five countries is going to get just a barrage of press releases and tribute uh, Volumes about about them, and by the way, the tribute pieces are on my website, MitziPurdue.com. If anybody wants to see them, and if you want an experience of crying, I mean, I cry even reading them.
0: How how old was the the guy that we're talking about, the most recent one?
1: Uh, Shuto was, I believe, he was 22.
0: Good lord.
1: Yeah, I think the oldest was 26. Wow but you said I could
0: monologue No, oh, yeah sorry I'm uh, sorry uh, no, I was just I was no, just trying to, I, I, I find, make it interactive. I'm 32 now and there is like there's just like these phases of like the first thing you start to notice is in sports when you're like you're 25 and you realize like the starting QB is like 22 but then even as it goes farther now you're starting to see it in terms of like doctors or like army it's like he was you know he was only 28 and I'm I'm just as I'm just slowly creeping up. I just thought I just tried to put it in reference. Sorry, keep going.
1: Well, no, please make it more interactive. Uh, but but I will continue with with the porcupine and Mr. Putin's pants. Pants. Giggle. Uh, so imagine there are going to be five countries that are going to be just awash in in these stories, and then even better. Julia Hart, from if you're if you're a Netflix fan, you might have come across one of the top ten most popular programs. She's now in her third series, uh, third season of My Unorthodox Life. She's in Netflix, 192 countries, uh, 69 million viewers, 32 different languages, and she's going to be covering it. Ooh. Oh. so, so and you know some of the relatives are coming for the ceremony in which I give the five poli- police speedboats and then it's going to be I, I believe it's going to be a very colorful ceremony because speedboats at least if you're a, a police speedboat you can do all sorts of amazing maneuvers uh, I haven't seen them yet but I've heard it described that you know these they're, they're things that you just wouldn't see normally it's just I guess it's the comparison is a police car can do things and does do things that we wouldn't do. Well, police cars are the same, and they're going to film. Uh, Netflix is going to film you know, the ceremony, and it's going to film. Uh, it's going to film my talking about the five heroes, and and it will have Julia Hart uh, participating. And I think there's the possibility that anybody who watches this is going to sense just the extreme idealism of these five who gave their lives for freedom. I have one of the guys talk, I think he was from the Netherlands. I quote his parents saying that that when he heard about the tortures, the rapes, the murders, uh, he couldn't lie in his bed and do nothing. He had to go. He said you know, there was just no choice. That He knew the difference between good and evil and he wanted to be in the side of good. And just each one of them has some really moving story. and. If Julia Hart, if, if that all comes together, and Netflix has an episode on it, uh, it's, it's an information operation. Oh, and then one other thing, and then I'll wind down. Uh, we've been friends a long time, Tommy. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you did not know that I am in touch with my inner terrorist.
0: That's, that's legally actionable. Go on. <laughs>
1: Okay, the, the thing is, I've read that Hezbollah loves to celebrate their martyrs, and why do they do it? They do it because it encourages and inspires others to join Hezbollah. Well, I, I want, as I said, I'm in touch with my inner terrorists. I want to influence, I mean, I don't know that I can accomplish this. It's the goal. That doesn't mean I'm going to get there. But this is what I would love to do. I would love to copy Hezbollah and make heroes out of the people who gave their lives and and have it globally known and i just think it could happen
0: what well, to to kind of pivot in 180 degrees because I, I know you're kind of well versed in everything um and just because it is kind of breaking what do you think about what's going on in, in france right now talking about just kind of the delineation between good and evil and you're starting to see you know, I think Macron was spotted at a like a John Elton or Elton John concert, like while Paris is burning. And there's a lot of French people going they're starting the guys are starting to go out with bats and basically take down the rioters. What are your thoughts on that? Because I've never left the United States and I know that you've visited just about every corner of the planet.
1: I I have French relatives, uh... I've, my sister lived there for probably 30 years, so I've certainly spent time in, in France. I think France has a total Achilles heel, or what's something stronger than Achilles heel, something that can really do you in. What their problem is, yeah, they criticize us, but they're not immune. In our country, we've got racial problems, but I think we confront them and we try to do something about it and yeah, we're, we're kind of open, I don't think we're frozen. In the case of France, their problem with their, with their their people from their from the former French Empire who've moved to France, and some of them are second, third, fourth generation, that they, they grew up in France, and yet they haven't totally assimilated. They've got, you know, in, in the United States, it's a funny thing, but our, are in inner city, which is a code word for slum. They're in the cities. In France, it's it's almost the opposite. Uh, it's the it's the suburbs that have that have what oh, I don't like the word slum, but uh, probably fits. Uh, and that it's almost for police. I've heard police describe it as the the banlieues where the where the people of Arab descent are living. It's almost a no-go area. They, yeah, no-go zones. Yeah, the, the law doesn't extend there anymore. Uh, and and further, I've, I've heard people say that we, we actually don't know how big the problem is because the French Constitution doesn't want people categorized so they don't, they don't have the records, we can only guess. Uh, you know, whatever problems we have, at least we know about them and we can try to do something about them. I would hate
0: to be France, where you're flying blind. Yeah, I'm. <clears throat> I am torn on it because there's like multiple levels to this. On one hand, it's. Well, on one hand, I've never visited there, and it's not my country, so I should shut up, right? There's, that's just that's probably ninety percent of it. But when you see this kind of unmitigated immigration, I'm an immigrant. I'm an Irish immigrant, so you know, I, obviously, I can't crap on that. But when you see this kind of unmitigated clash of, of cultures or lack thereof, and then when it turns violent, I mean, not, not protesting over police brutality or taxes, but when they're just burning civilian apartments and just, dist- you know, shooting at cops and, you know, chopping down light poles with chainsaws and hijacking buses and then what you start to see is very quickly you start to see the people primed and ready for the government to step in with the heavy hand of the state right the uh, chris hedges that said the state can dole out an unimaginable amount of power or an unimaginable amount of violence and i mean just a week ago If you had said that, you know, the military is going to step in in France or any, you know, country of Westphalia, they would, you know, they'd be like, what are you talking about? But in what seems to be a matter of days, like a hundred hours, you can go from this cultured place to people openly talking about the military needs to step in. They need to, you know, sidestep the president and bring in force, which I get, you know, you're in a city, it's turned lawless. Sure. I mean, I think we all saw it in 2020 with the cities burning and the National Guard is rolling in and some people are like, this is government, you know, overstepping. Other people are like, well, you shut up. Like, it's a war zone. Like, you need to bring in, you know, there's like all those videos of like Humvees with mounted machine guns around McDonald's and like L.A., right? Kind of surreal stuff. But when I look at that, I can't help but get a sinking feeling that who benefits from this it's the government right stripping you of civil liberties and shifting the social acceptance of bringing in the heavy hand of of state power
1: but also it's so easy for me to believe that there are people who are motivated to want this to happen let's take for example china oh
0: well sure well sure and there's and there's multiple ways around it is 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 the domestic government are they fomenting it so that they can step in, bring in, bring in a problem, and then you produce the solution, and or and it might not be, it might not be an either, it might be and, you have but, a China.
1: It's so easy for me to go with the and.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, you you know my stance on China. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? That is a form of warfare. Why fire a shot when you can just bring in a ton of immigrants and burn down a city and go? We well, didn't do anything. It's brilliant. It's evil, but it's brilliant. And then like regardless the outcomes almost the same it's either china takes takes proxy control of your country or you devolve civil liberties and bring in state power and thus you become china and it's i i I don't and this might just be me seeing connections where connections don't exist but when it happens so quickly it's not like this has been festering for years it's in five days
1: but I'm gonna go with it. It's been extremely festering for years. Okay. I mean, my, my impression... Okay, last time I was in France, it was it was right before COVID. Uh, and I, I, by the way, full disclosure, I've decided not to go to France for a while because I've had what I'm about to describe happen three times on three different trips. Uh, I arrived at whichever or- airport it was, probably Orly or De Gaulle, one of them. De Gaulle, I think. Uh, there there is the strike of the month there's there are no taxis uh, fine I know how to use the trains I know how to use the equivalent of the metro I get on and oh my uh, there's not a whole lot, how about there's no seating because it's crowded because you know people aren't going by taxi they're they're using the trains and I've witnessed oh uh, there was a Caucasian-looking guy, and he was quickly surrounded when he got on by five people who looked as if they were of African descent. And by the way, not um, how about Arab descent? And they looked as if they were about to murder him. They were—they were punching him. They were—it uh, was—it was a degree of brutality that actually I hadn't seen before. I imagine you might see it in New York subways today, I don't know. But it was so unsettling to see just raw hatred of somebody that as far as I could tell didn't know them and had nothing to do with them. And so so if, from my point of view, I am not surprised. I mean, if whatever re- race relationships are going on here I don't recall seeing anything quite like that here
0: no it's kind of jumping to another level there and there is they have on one hand it's probably an inherently good human value to not want to jump to these conclusions but then when you see this and it's but you can't point it out right I mean in France there's like they're too politically correct to point it out. I mean, there's like there's this video of this like woman crying, asking that you think she's crying because her country is being literally and metaphorically raped right now. But she's crying because the riot police are going in and she's saying, don't be racist. Don't 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 hit the immigrants. And you're watching and you're like, you know, that famous picture. It's a black-and-white picture, and it's of this guy crying, and it's a picture of him watching the fall of France as the Nazis. Very famous picture. I remember it. Like, I feel for that. But when I'm watching it now, I don't even feel for it. At least there was an underground movement. There was the partisans. At least there was an underground movement to fight the Now they're watching, and they're saying... That, that'd be like if you went back to the 40s and people were telling the Americans, please don't hurt the Nazis. I don't want you to come across as a bigot. At a certain point, man, it's like, obviously you don't wish it on anyone. But in terms of, like, how much can I really care or how much can I really feel for you, it's kind of getting harder and harder, right? I just... It just seems like that is the inevitable outcome. And no one... It's one thing if you maybe pointed it out five years ago, right? And you'd be like, "Well, nothing's happened." But now, as you're watching the literal city burn down, you still can't say anything. It's like,
1: actually, it's, I, I'm not. I'm trying to think if I've ever repeated my experience that I just told you about being on on a train. I hadn't heard it. Uh, I'm, but I'm not sure I told anybody because it sounds racist. You can't say
0: it, right? It's there, there's a great political cartoon. And it's of two guys jumping out of the World Trade Center because it's on fire. And they're jumping to their deaths. And one of them's looking at the other and going, how do you feel about enhanced interrogation? It's awful. But I mean, like, is that does that not encapsulate this? Yeah. A woman crying on her knees saying, please don't. And then the camera pans and she's crying at the riot police who are about to go put restore order to a city that's lit on fire. And will that not be the death of the West because it will be too politically incorrect to stand up for yourself? I mean, is that where we're going? But even now, like we're tiptoeing around this because there's this innate, like, well, I don't want to seem racist, but it's like, well, what is that? Who, who, who placed that thought in our head that, that we don't want to seem this way, right? I, I don't want to call it the China virus. That's racist. It's a bioweapon from a Chinese lab that's killed more Americans than every war combined. But no one wants to call it the China virus because that's xenophobic.
1: I've heard you talk very eloquently about Solzhenitsyn, uh, and that you just have to say the truth. Yeah. And but that's so hard.
0: Well, it's saying the truth is. I know. I know you are a fan of them. Saying the truth is a lot like a cold shower. The first yeah. second's very uncomfortable. Then you get used to it, and then it becomes liberating. <laughs> Right.
1: Yeah, and then, and then you you don't want to have a day without it. Exactly. It's almost switching over to feeling, bracing instead of horrible.
0: Well, like I think you you said there's yeah there's yeah there's there's rejecting and then there's embracing. It's like either way you have to suffer. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my logic is once you go through the first wave of getting banned from YouTube or iTunes or Reddit or Twitter or whatever, you're a Nazi. You're t-. all right, whatever. Well, then it kind of frees you. Well, you go well that didn't kill me. And you just point it out I mean I don't think I'm a hateful person I think I'm a pretty loving tolerant per- oh then again everyone does everyone thinks that about themselves but like you could there's just certain things that like I don't think anything should be verboten and it's 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 just odd to point this out is there's we're somehow not allowed to I mean you can even see it in twitter com go watch any video right now of some store on fire and like You know, there's a there's a video of a building collapsing today in in Paris because it was lit on fire. And it was a building that had survived the bombing campaigns of the Nazis. And it was like this building couldn't survive political correctness. It could survive Nazi bombings, but it couldn't survive political correctness. And it's a video. There is no there's no tilt on the video. There's no slant. It is a video. Of a physical event happening in this universe, of a building collapsing because of a fire set by these protesters. But even despite that, despite seeing with your own eyes this very objective fact, all the comments under it is like, this is racist. This is so, this is so anti-progressive. I am ashamed. And it's like,
1: well, let me tell you about a story that I just finished writing. um, (sighs) Sorry if
0: I'm ranting, Mitzi.
1: No, no, please do, please do. That's that. That's why I tune into you. I don't care that much about your guests. Some of them are super. Some of them are, but I don't tune in because of your guests. I tune in because of you, thank you, Nancy. and your rants.
0: Thank you, Mitzi.
1: But I want to share with you what I'm writing about or sure. what I have written. Oh, uh, because I'm friendly with with the Cambridge Regional <clears throat> Police, I get kind of an inside story that that other journalists. I mean, they may cover it in the future, but uh, the, the the Ukrainian police discovered a bot farm, and this bot farm, they oh, they shut it down, but it it was capable of send, It had like three three thousand SIM cards, and these people, I think, they were paid like ten thousand dollars a month to send out five hundred uh, emails or or posts or in one way or another interacting with people and they're posing as Ukrainians who are spreading the word that that Russia wants spread and the the number one thing that I think Russia is, is telling everybody is that Ukraine is so corrupt that whatever money you send there uh, it's it's going to go end up you know the equipment's going to end up sold on eBay in Turkey uh, or it's going to go into the hands of uh, of a corrupt oligarch that that's their number one number two. And there's people you know, just sending these out all the time. Uh, the forever war. They want us to think it's a forever war. Uh, let's see if I can remember some of the other talking points. Um, corruption. Here are the facts. Uh, there's there's something called Transparency International that rates 180 countries on how corrupt, corrupt they are. In that rating, out of 180, Ukraine's uh, a year ago was 122. It's gotten down to 116 now. Russia, on the other hand, is I think it was 157. So Russia trying to say that Ukraine is corrupt? What? Uh, so 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 much of what we think Ukrainians are thinking even are these bot farms that are just manufacturing stuff.
0: Do you feel like that's maybe what's going on with what we're seeing on Twitter concerning like France right now?
1: I, there's no possibility that it wouldn't be. And that's just one bot farm. I mean, how many are there? I bet There are thousands. You make a good living if you're running a bot farm.
0: So I, well, what will be the breaking point then of this reality or the current narrative that's going on? Is it the moment that we realize that what we see online in terms of comments? and opinions and likes and dislikes don't reflect reality there's the right that that's got to be a breaking I point
1: that soon because it doesn't reflect reality and yet the woman that I, I was interviewing a couple of people on this actually several people but the the woman from transparency international the one who rates corruption uh she's beside herself because she says we know that Ukraine, even in the middle of a war, is still prosecuting corruption. Uh, and then she goes into some details of, of how, they, how they're finding it. And you know, even, like, like, when there, there was a period, and that was probably December of the year ago, but don't hold me to the exact date, generally that, that time frame, uh, Kyiv was being attacked with 40 rockets a night uh, yeah, the height of the bombing, and yet they prosecuted a military procurement guy who was spending too much on food. And your your, your commitment to anti-corruption has got to be pretty strong if, if you go after somebody even during the war.
0: That's where that's where Truman. Can oh, guess. and
1: by the way, there's a uh, there there was a poll asking Ukrainians what what concerns you most and number 1 is Russia and the invasion number 2 fighting corruption so it's you know i've talked with people who said that the worst legacy of russia was that you learned to to rise in society and get the goodies mm-hmm. you had to accept bribes or nepotism or one way or the other it wasn't trading merit it was i mean merit had rather little to do with it it was all cronyism or corruption
0: yeah, I had Jeff Nyquist on yesterday, and he was talking about that exact thing. Is is in like the marketplace of via yeah, corruption and bribery? It can only rise through the society for so many decades before that becomes the law of the land, and then the entire thing collapses in on itself.
1: But it's so hard to turn it back. And I'll give you an example that that I can't say I witnessed it, but I sure talked with the people who were living through it. Police corruption is a really big issue, especially in, in an authoritarian regime like what Russia was turning Ukraine into. Well the Re- Revolution of Dignity in 2014, uh, where, where the Ukrainians threw out a guy who had come to power through a corrupt election, an interesting point, but anyway, uh, the, a new police chief for the Kyiv region was appointed. And to do his job, he felt that 11% of the whole police department was in one way or another on the take, and he fired them all. But that means that to this day, 11% of roughly 6,500 people really have it in for the head of the police. And they cooperate with the Russians. They tell you know, where secret documents are. They, they talk about the weak points. I mean, can you imagine to clean up a police department having to fire 11% who forevermore are on the other side? I mean, cleaning up corruption is incredibly difficult once it's taken root.
0: It's, do you think I should run for president and just become a dictator?
1: I think you'd be divine. I'd vote for you.
0: Thank you. I think I should be a dictator. I um, think.
1: And, and, and I'd also uh, drive my tanks in <laughs> to help support you.
0: I think that's what we should do. I think it's I think it's high time I I I take control.
1: Uh, actually, you're single. I'm single. I'm fifty years older than you, but we're not going to get technical. Nonsense. I have always wanted to be first lady. You can be my
0: first lady, Mitzi.
1: <laughs> okay, when you're president, I, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. Cause
0: okay, you'll be my first lady, and I, was, I, I
1: I have never figured out how to run for first lady. I
0: don't, well, yeah, you have, and it's I don't know. I always can't tell. I guess, you know, kind of on the topic of you being 50 years older than me. Am I just...
1: 82, 82, 82.
0: 82. Is, is this just me? It. Is this just me getting older and I kind of view, and I know we got to wrap it up. It's a quarter of, is this just me getting older and feeling like the world is, is darker? Is this just part of the natural evolution of, of one's mind as you leave childhood and, and starts to see the world, no?
1: No, I didn't start feeling this way until maybe, okay, it's hard to put a date on it, but somewhere in the last decade, it seems to me we took an extreme turn to the dark side.
0: Okay. I don't know if that makes me feel better or
1: not. I I was upset by 9-11. It's nothing compared to the upset that I feel right now when our institutions seem to me crumbling.
0: Yeah, it's...
1: So, I I think I can guarantee that it's not that you're 32. I think it's that it's 2023.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was just kind of sitting on my bed thinking. And it was like... How it just seems so tumultuous and uncertain and then it was and it's not a good realization but it just is it's where you go this is the norm total uncertainty and fluctuation is the norm for human civilization what I grew up in was an odd aberration suburbia is not the norm just nightly news and an election every four years that's not normal that was a very odd hiccup this is normal it doesn't make it any better but i don't know maybe it makes it a little well, more palatable
1: that the, the population throughout at least the developed world is absolutely crashing
0: mm-hmm.
1: i wonder if a whole lot of people are feeling that yeah, this is a bad time and and you don't bring children into the world if, if you're if it, yeah if you're feeling
0: yeah I don't know. Do you, do you
1: think there might be a connection? I
0: think the I think everyone can feel something. I think everyone just has this general kind of finger in the air. Almost some instinctual like like a like a dog can tell a storm's coming. Even people like myself, I'm not in the military, I don't have any special training. But just on a base human level, there is like an odd kind of pressure in the air where you're like something is on the way. Some rumbling is and it might be a decade away. Is it global war? Is it famine? Is it is it is it another pandemic is is it a population bomb? I don't know. But
1: by the way, I, I worry more about the population bust than the population bomb now.
0: Oh no, I I think, I think I I really, I really, I'm kind of like a pro population. I think we should jack that number up even higher. I really do. I think the more people that are here, I think it causes desperation, which force feeds invention. I really do. I mean, we can all sit around and go, how are we going to feed 10 billion people? Versus when you have 10 billion people, we go, well, we got figured out. I mean, like, I can sit around and go. Oh, I don't want to get out of bed and go to the gym. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, I have a podcast in an hour, and I know I don't do good podcasts if I have an extra. There's no time to think. You go. I just, we, we just got to go. We just got to. We just got to go. I tend to think that having more people is even better. I think it will for, What if maybe that means that we can't feed them all. Maybe it means we got to get off the planet. Then we're gonna find a way to get off the planet. Like, or we're gonna find a way to crack you know cold fusion. I tend to think that the more people, the better. And every person but is we're, a no-
1: we're going to be really lucky if, if we dodge some serious famine by, by good Lord, by, by within half a year, because but between China, droughts and floods, Ukraine and the Kokova Dam. And mm-hmm. I mean, there 40 percent of their agricultural land, their prime agricultural land has landmines that it could take up to 40 years to clear. Yeah. I mean, there's so much food that's becoming unavailable. I, I sure hope we dodge this bullet, but.
0: You know, my only answer to that is I'm gonna unplug for a couple of days and go visit my parents. I'll come back to the doom and gloom of the world. The podcast will resume in a couple of days
1: Hey, I've got an idea. I've got a brilliant idea. Yes, ma'am. It involves inviting me back. Yeah. And it involves... The thing is, I think I can do a doom and gloom with the best of them.
0: I think you can.
1: But on the other hand, uh, I think there's some really cool things that are coming along, too. And so let, let's do an upbeat.
0: Recap. I would. Lo- I need that. I would love an upbeat episode.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm up for it. Okay, a quick talk about my career one minute I was an environmental writer for a good bit of my life Uh, in fact I was the most widely syndicated environmental writer in the United States how did I get that way because every article that I wrote and it was once a week it would always be upbeat I'd write environmental success stories and the reason I did it was partly for my own psychology because you know with the environment you can get so depressed And yeah, end up hopeless. So for my own psychology, and thank heaven for me that other people felt the same way. uh, I would write good people doing good things that were optimistic. And it took me a long, long way. So next, next podcast, if you invite me back and you better or or terrible things will befall you. Uh,
0: My First Lady will divorce me.
1: Yeah, I I won't marry you if you
0: (laughs) No, you know, if you really want to put the if you really want to put the blade in, you got to wait till I'm president and then divorce. I don't think a sitting president has ever been divorced.
1: Tommy, I won't divorce you. I promise. I give you my word. Okay?
0: But if you really want sure. to get back well, at me, that's what I, you not do. Not
1: because I love you, but because I want to be first lady. Well, if you but really but want to get back podcast, at me, that's how you do. This podcast is going to be completely, totally upbeat, and I can do it.
0: I want that, but I don't want it to be blind optimism. I don't want it just to be you and me saying everything's okay. I want facts and figures. I want inventions. I, do, I, I want breakthroughs. breakthroughs.
1: I do not do syrup. I, there are some reasons to be hopeful. I, I wish we had another hour right now because I could go into them, but mm, tune back in, everybody, please.
0: We will prep for that podcast, and um, until then, Miss Mitzi Purdue, thank you as always. I love you, and I love having you on, and. Um, I hope you have a wonderful July 4th.
1: Thank you. I, I hope you do too, and my love to your parents.
0: Thank you, and I will let them know that you are my First Lady. Miss Mitzi Purdue. thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much for watching. The show will resume probably like Friday or Saturday or something. I don't know. I'm going to take my time. Mitzi, I love you. Thank you for oh. watching, everybody. Thank you for being here.
1: Recording Ms. stopped.
0: Miss Mitzi Perdue. Peace.